This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Never short on points of view or topics for Libby's Nimer, you manage to set the tone each and every Friday. Welcome to the best of Free For All Friday 2021 with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the best of Free For All Friday 2021 from the year that was, the second year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for taking the time on Fridays during the past year to call Fight Back with Libby Snymer and voice your opinion on the news stories that interest you as the vast majority of us got double vaccinated against the virus and started to get our third shot boosters toward the end of this year. As we get set to ring in a new year tonight, 2022, we here on the Fight Back team are looking back during this special Free For All Friday to feature the very best calls of the year. As 2021 began, stories started circulating that various political leaders had taken trips out of the country over the holidays to spend time in warm climates, while everyone in Canada was told to stay home and isolate to help stop the spread of COVID-19. Trips outside of the country were only to be taken for the most essential of reasons— Here in Ontario, it was then-Finance Minister Rod Phillips who garnered the most negative attention. He had traveled to St. Bart's, but his social media feeds had made it appear as though he was in his home riding of Ajax over the holidays. And it turned out the Premier Doug Ford knew his finance minister was away, but only called him home when the news went public. At the beginning of January, Marianne from North York called Fight Back with a message for politicians who vacationed abroad. Shame on every one of those politicians. It's disgusting. Not only should they be all tossed to the curb, they should all be given a hefty fine. My husband's been 10 months in um, in a nursing home. Before COVID hit, I took him out all the time, days out up north just for a beautiful drive. Ten months he has not seen outside. He's in a tiny room with a television, and I travel and visit him sitting there. All I'm hearing is he wants to go for a nice long drive, and these idiots do this? Are you kidding me? Shame on every one of them. An ongoing hot-button issue through 2021, especially before COVID vaccines were widely offered, was around the call for legislated paid sick days for workers. It was becoming obvious that workers who did not have paid sick days were going to work with symptoms of COVID and spreading the virus. They couldn't afford to stay home and lose a day's pay or more. In mid-January, Dennis in Brampton called about the need for paid sick days, especially during the pandemic, reminding us of Premier Ford's philosophy on legislated paid time off due to sickness. I'm very confused, as many people are. Um, The whole messaging around these changes, if there are any, is still very confusing. But specifically with respect to the sick days, 
I would point out uh, that the uh, Wynn government had proposed, we're bringing in changes to the Employment Standards Act, which included two paid sick days for all employees. And among the things that Doug Ford did when he came to power, in addition to, to uh, cutting the uh, proposed minimum wage to $15, is he also eliminated the two paid sick days. He's ideologically opposed to providing that benefit. And with respect to the federal government, I understand that the Ford government is still sitting on a pile of cash that the, Ford, the federal government has flowed to them to deal with the pandemic. And he's not... He's demonstrated whether it's long-term care, education, he is not wanting to spend any money. As we all remember, 2020 was a devastating year as COVID-19 took the lives of thousands of nursing home residents in Ontario. For those who survived... There was new hope in the COVID-19 vaccine, but at the beginning of 2021, people were still dying in long-term care outbreaks. Helen phoned Fight Back toward the end of January to talk about the need to be a proactive advocate for our loved ones in long-term care, as she is for her mother. My mother is 98 in long-term care, and I spearheaded a campaign on my own because there are 20 in her unit, 12 were positive, they didn't get moved, my mother didn't get moved, and then two more from another floor became positive, and they moved them onto the same floor. My, my project went all the way up to Doug Ford, whose office said, we're forwarding this to Marilee Fullerton. I put a closing date on my project, self-imposed, uh, Wednesday the 13th of January, on the, and it hadn't come through. Now I've typed up the summary of my notes, and I'm sending it to um, a few people who should know about it, who should do something, though I doubt that they will because it's just too plain, easy, and logical. I had suggested field hospitals way back then. And when you've got four in a room and nowhere to move them, that's the ideal, or so I think. You're listening to the best calls of 2021 from Zoomer Radio's Free For All Friday. I'm Jane Brown. More now on the seven-month lockdown here in Toronto from November of 2020 through to June of 2021. As the rollout of the COVID vaccine continued slowly at first and then ramped up as more supply arrived, the daily COVID numbers spiked at one point to around 3,800 a day. Everything was closed, most notably restaurants, malls, personal care salons. We all complained about not being able to go out for dinner or get our hair cut and colored. But it was the owners of these establishments who were truly suffering. In mid-February, Massimo in Toronto called to say as the owner of La Vecchia restaurants, he was frustrated by the COVID lockdowns and how they had been handled to that point. I own two restaurants in the city, one in Young Street and one in Etobicoke. And I wanted to agree with the lady that how difficult it is to reopen and close and reopen and close. A lot of our staff left completely the business. So we don't know who's coming back and who's not. That's one thing. Second thing is, when they start opening last year, when the first uh, lockdown, they announced it a week before the Toronto's opening. We couldn't even make it in time. We had to work four days straight to reopen the business. 
day and night to make sure that we have enough staff, that we make our ordering, that we do the whole process for the reopening. It's extremely hard and excruciating, the fact of opening and closing. It's not a switch that you can turn on and off anytime you want. They don't give us enough time for reopening. They don't tell us what's the procedures. They, they, they're not clear on any of the procedures that has to be done. And it's extremely excruciating for the business that we, we, we deal with, especially restaurants. Back to the COVID vaccine rollout, which in February was still targeted to healthcare workers and residents in long-term care and retirement homes. We were just starting to get more information about when people in the general public would be eligible for a first dose. Rudy in Toronto called around that time to say how appreciative he was about the information he was learning here on Fightback about the process for the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. This was the first time that I heard uh, I uh, detailed a consistent uh, explanation of how the vaccine is going to be rolled out and uh, and who's going to be getting it. Uh, I uh, haven't heard anything except uh, uh, confusion from the governments before that. So I'm so that uh, sort of uh, gave me a bit of confidence, and I, I just hope that our, our government can uh, stand behind uh, uh, the the uh, plans that he he uh, told us about, and and get, get the vaccine to our, to us. Uh, um, yes. I'm uh, 74, so I'm I'm waiting anxiously. It was in late February, members of the Long-Term Care Commission released a report which called out for-profit owners of long-term care who had been witness to thousands of deaths during the first two waves of the COVID crisis. That's when Barbara in Newcastle called with her take on the situation. This is so frustrating because you cannot throw money at a corporation. These guys make billions of dollars. Why is taxpayers going in and spending our taxpayers' money when these are criminals? And the police should be involved, human rights should be involved, and the government is just throwing pittance at people while people are dying of neglect and it has nothing to do with COVID. So who in the general public would be prioritized to get the COVID vaccine? Those 80 and over were first to get the jab, with research showing older people were the most vulnerable to severe illness or early death related to COVID-19. The first week of March, Richard in North York called with his opinion on the order of importance for the vaccine rollout. Uh, I have difficulty understanding how the uh, homeless basically are taking priority. And I would add the comment that I agree that older people should be the priority, but there's another group of people that are totally forgotten. And those are disability people, people with pulmonary problems, uh, people who are actually got serious lung problems that are going to work, they're in the community, making a contribution, doing their best, and they're not even talked about. Everybody talks about age, shelter people, and so on. But what about people with disabilities and pulmonary problems? And what about those 80 and older who did not have access to a computer or the Internet to book their appointments? That's when family members and friends got involved to help out, including Tracy in Hamilton. My biggest concern about this was that they automatically assume that these people over 80 would have text would have cell phones and computers for email confirmations because you have to have all these confirmation codes for you when you go in 
and they automatically think that everyone will have someone like a daughter or a friend that may call in for them over 80, maybe, that have these, you know, the, the technology to do all of this, but not everybody has it. So I found that a little disturbing, and I think that would be overwhelming for people that are calling in that on their own, like, say, my mother. Then there was Anne in Toronto who phoned about COVID vaccine access. I was out for a walk uh, the day before, and they were doing the uh, the 80 and over, and uh, they have an accessibility entrance. And I was uh, really uh, hit home, and there was this, a couple. The lady was on her feet, and the gentleman, he was on a, a gurney, but he had his suit and his shirt and his tie on. <laughs> and I just thought that was like, I don't know, maybe not sweet, but I mean, it was very real. And all I see is just regular people, whether they work for all trans, whether they're the security down at the Metro Convention Center, there are real people on the ground trying their best to get this going. What an adventure it was for those of us who got AstraZeneca as our first dose of COVID vaccine. Early in the spring, there was constant changing guidance over what age group should get the AZ shot as scientists tried to figure out who was most at risk for an extremely rare blood clot associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine. It was during the first week of April, Daryl in Toronto called about the changing guidance on the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. The idea that, you know, whatever they say from, from, from day to day. I mean, I've been trying to tell people also, you know, take the AstraZeneca, get whatever you can as soon as you can. But it's, it's again, it's the flip-flopping back and forth. I mean, whatever statement you make today, I, I find myself following, well, you know, what's going to come up in three or four days. And it's, it just gives the sense that they really don't know what's going on with this particular one. You're listening to the best of Free For All Friday 2021 on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. And what about the essential workers? Many of you, including Nancy in Toronto, called to say they should have the opportunity to get their first dose of vaccine, even if it meant taking the shots to the factories and manufacturing plants. I so agree with that about getting mobile units out to those food processing plants, out to Amazon. I don't understand how, why it's taken so long. It's, it's a basic, it's, it's not that hard to do this. The government is spending tons of money. This is just another simple thing to do. And I, I don't understand every week there's the numbers of they, here are the cases in the different workplaces. They name the companies. How difficult is it to go and sit there? Yes, of course, some people do not want the vaccine, but some of those people are going to want the vaccine. And I also don't think it's hard to get some people in those buses who speak their la- who speak another language. Of course, people are going to want to have someone talk to them about the vaccine. It's not that hard. We yeah. live in a, in a city with how many different languages? Of course, dozens we can and dozens. do this. Yeah. I think that the government doesn't want to do that. Nancy's voice was heard. That very formula was announced by Premier Doug Ford a few days later as we approached the middle of April.
This is the best of Free For All Friday 2021. I'm Jane Brown. After a quick break, we'll get back to the best calls of the past year, including reaction to a controversial decision by the Ford PCs to move hospitalized seniors to long-term care. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It was your chance to have your opinion heard, even if we didn't share it. You're listening to the best of Free For All Friday 2021 with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to the best calls of 2021 on Free For All Friday. During the middle of April, many older Ontario residents still were not able to book their first doses of COVID vaccine, even though they had been eligible back in March. It was around this time Don in Toronto phoned after listening to so many elderly people tell their stories of being unable to book a vaccine appointment. Listening to this is making me sick to my stomach. And I love being Canadian. I love being from Toronto. I just turned 60 last week. Um, I'm computer savvy beyond. It was a challenge to finally book my shot. I got it yesterday. Um, But I have to tell you, I have friends older than me in my area code in the city. They can't access. They can't get it. I have a sister in L.A. uh, Sorry, a brother in L.A., 47. He got it. Boom. A month ago. I have a sister in New York, 54. Boom, she got it 10 days ago. We have been failed. We have been let down. My heart is breaking for people in remote places. I can't hear anymore that the systems are broken. They're broken. Jane, they're broken beyond. During the spring of 2021, there was still a lot of anger over the lack of protection provided to Ontario's most vulnerable during the first and second waves of COVID-19, when thousands of long-term care residents died after contracting the virus. Pat in Toronto phoned to talk about the final long-term care COVID-19 commission report, and then Minister Marilee Fullerton's reaction to it. I think people are missing. There's a difference between government and management. And obviously, she came into government. She can't change the management. I mean, there's a structure. And, you know, I I realize it frustrates people, but they have to understand that. And you don't necessarily get the best people working in government. And I think that's what's been shown here. And, you know, I feel very sorry for the lady. Probably what she should have done if she felt strongly about it, is resigned and left to say, look, this thing's out of control. But otherwise, she's dealing with weak people below her. She's dealing with no money. You know, I mean, money is short. And, you know, I mean, we talk about fixing this. We can fix it, but it's going to cost a lot of money. And who's going to pay? That's, That's the big issue. Around the same time, we learned about a controversial and potentially dangerous situation by the governing PCs at Queen's Park to move some older hospital patients into long-term care homes. CETA in Mississauga phoned in while the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association, Dr. Doris Grinspun, was a guest on Fight Back. I think you guys are looking at this all wrong. By moving a patient into care home, these patients will not be in the hospital where they're being there for so long 
and not having the specific care by being in in these homes, we will be freeing up the beds where patients in the hospital can go and come. The only issue is that they shouldn't should have a choice to go into the right home. But so they hope- don't. They said they the reason they're in hospital is because they don't have a, a exactly. Place. And the other piece that to assume that in nursing homes they will receive the best better care than in the hospital when the poor homes don't have the staffing because nothing has changed between the announcement to today in terms of increasing staffing. Nothing. Well, they should come down more harder on these homes. These home, people are paying their, to be into these homes to have the love and the care that they need for the rest of their life. But they are just making profits. They should be charging the persons who is in charge. I mean, care workers who are working there, they should all be vaccinated so they can go from home to home freely. Back to the ever-changing guidance on the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine now. Concerns began in early spring about an extremely rare link to blood clotting and that it was more susceptible in younger people. In the end, Ontario residents 40 and over were offered the AstraZeneca vaccine for first and second doses. But between March and May, it was a challenge to keep track of the changing guidance. Lucy called in the middle of May to voice her frustrations about the moving target that was the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. You read so much about this, and it's like a moving target. You know, first, the National Post, you know, I read it that, you know, the risk could be as high as 1 in 26,000. But, you know, it's or 1 in 55,000. You know, then they say it's, you know, the National says it's the preferred. And then they say, no, 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 we made a mistake. No, let's clarify that. Then they say Health Canada says, well, the risk, you know, you have to watch out for symptoms four to 20 days. Now it's like four to 28 days. Um, and if they had 12 cases in Canada, then three were fatal. That's 30%. And one of those 12, you know, not fatal, but the guy apparently is, you know, has a really, really debilitating stroke. There's a chance that, you know, if I get this, you know, I will die or have a debilitating stroke. I'm not sure if I want it anymore. It was during this time we were awaiting a decision by the Ford Tories at Queen's Park on how people who got AstraZeneca as their first shot would be able to access a second shot. Many experts agreed the risk of developing an extremely rare blood clot with a second shot of AZ is about one in a million. And those who got AZ first should also get it second. There was also the issue around 45,000 doses of AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, which were about to expire. Lily in Pickering called with a question many of us had in mid-May about what would happen to those precious doses. Again, it's the AstraZeneca uh, vaccines are stored. Apparently, there's uh, some in reserve and due to expire at the end of the month. Why are they not rushing to get these, these vaccines out? Second doses. We did end up getting some good news that those AstraZeneca doses would be used for second shots for people who got a first dose between March 10th and March 19th. This is the best of Free for All Friday 2021 on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. The long-term care crisis around COVID-19 in 2020 continued to prompt discussions this past year about the best way to take care of frail elderly people who are unable to care for themselves. 
Dennis in Brampton phoned to say the unrealistic cost of long-term care going forward should get us thinking about other ways of taking care of our older population. Given the magnitude of the costs that we're talking about, and also given the preference of many seniors, especially following what happened in the institutional care in the pandemic, uh, I'm wondering, I had wondered if any thought was given to um, home care alternatives, which is what more and more seniors want. Just to reiterate the point, it's, it's becoming increasingly clear, given the magnitude of costs associated with building and institutional care, that alternatives are going to need to be considered. You're listening to the best calls of 2021 from Free For All Friday on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Now to the rollout of second shots of COVID-19 vaccine. Older Ontario residents began the process of getting a second jab between 8 and 12 weeks after first doses. At the beginning of June, Elsie in Innismore phoned about her second dose booking and how the system was not working for those who did not have access to transportation. On Monday, I got on uh, online at about 8 o'clock and uh, tried to book an appointment for my husband, who is 88. And the first thing they came up with was Lindsay. And I looked at it and I said, oh, well, where's the Peterborough site? So I backed up one screen and put Peterborough in again. And when it came up, it Peter, Lindsay was not there. The next closest was um, Markham, Scarborough, or Aurelia. So I clued in that these are the only available appointments that there are. And we managed to book into Markham today at three o'clock. So Good for you. Leaving. How are and you getting there? Uh, well, we're driving and it's about an hour and 15 minutes. But I said to my husband, what do the people do that can't get in their car and drive an hour and a half to get their second shot? All the while, we were waiting and waiting for the lockdown to end. A lockdown that went on for about seven months in both the city of Toronto and city of Mississauga. Restrictions began to be loosened on June 11th. A few days earlier, Norm in Toronto called to say he hoped he would be celebrating his milestone birthday by going to a restaurant. I'll be turning 65 on June 30th, and my lady and I are actually looking forward to going to a restaurant. But on the other hand, I've become rather adept at baking pies from scratch. So it's, <laughs> I've made the best of what I can with this isolation. We were all in that boat, Norm. We hope you enjoyed your birthday. Speaking of eating, were you among those who put on the quarantine 15, as in 15 pounds? If you did, you were not alone. Jane in Scarborough called toward the end of June to say she had managed to lose a substantial amount of weight that she put on during the pandemic. My doctor back in March had sent me for some blood tests. And then I had told my husband, I'm going to stop drinking because of the blood test. And then she told me to adopt a Mediterranean style of eating. And I found it so easy and so liberating that I wasn't on junk food. I wasn't on processed food. I wasn't going to fast food anymore. Um, I cut out the alcohol, which I was worried would be a problem. 
And I found it very liberating, and I'm now down uh, 18 pounds since March without doing anything other than eating wholesome food. It's surprisingly been easy and very liberating that, you know, I feel so much better. I've lost weight. My clothes are fitting better. In fact, some are getting big. It's come off 18 pounds. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Free For All Friday 2021. I'm Jane Brown. 2021 was a year of truth, truth that Indigenous people have known and lived for more than 100 years, that children were abused and died in vastly disproportionate numbers in residential schools after they were taken from their families. Hundreds of unmarked graves were discovered on the grounds of several residential schools in what is thought to be just the beginning of many horrific discoveries. As tragic truths were uncovered, there was also a heightened awareness of those historical figures who were involved in perpetrating the system that led to the abuse and deaths of so many Indigenous children, among them Henry Dundas, after which Dundas Street in Toronto is named. Toronto City Councillors have decided to rename Dundas Street in a process that could take a couple of years. This was a hot topic at the beginning of July when Ron in Guelph phoned Fight Back with his opinion. Where does it stop? Um, let's go find some dirt on Sir George because I'm sure if we dig far enough, we'll find some dirt on him. How about Bathurst? Let's find some dirt on, uh, on Bathurst. If we dig far enough back in history, Libby, we can find some dirt on just about anybody. Look at uh, McDonald's. Uh, part of it is this whole thing is, We've had this conversation before. I'm in favor of educate, not eradicate. Um, as said, it's you've got to look at the perspective. Did these people do more good than bad and weigh it against that? You're listening to the Best of Free for All Friday 2021 here on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Loss has been an ongoing theme during the pandemic, the loss of loved ones to COVID-19. In mid-July, Jane from Scarborough called back to tell us her story. My mom died in long-term care a year ago, April. Uh, The day after she died was the day that we all went into lockdown and I had to come into work and lay off everyone at work after watching my mother being brought out of the home by men in hazmat suits and she was in a white plastic bag. I couldn't be with her. I couldn't see her. I couldn't see her for the month before she died. I couldn't see her body. I couldn't kiss her goodbye. And her ashes are still in my spare bedroom, waiting to be able to go and inter her ashes in the family plot in Quebec City. And I have no idea when I'm going to be able to go. And so, yeah, grieving has been hard. Um, Having to come to work, not being able to stop, having to take care of all those people that had lost their livelihood because we got shut down. It was just, and it still is, horrendous. You're listening to the best calls of 2021 from Free For All Friday on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, anti-vaxxers take to the streets while controversy surrounds the decision to carry on with the Tokyo Olympics. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You gave us something to talk about. 
And here are the best of the bunch. Back to Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio with more of the best of Free For All Friday 2021. Welcome back to the best of Free For All Friday 2021. The best calls of Fight Back with Libby Snymer. As we neared the end of July, concerns were mounting about the decision in Japan to carry on with the Tokyo Olympics. Despite the ongoing global pandemic, Mike in Bowmanville was among those who called Fight Back to express his opinion. I think the whole concept of the Olympic Games has been cheapened and adulterated by drug use. Um, it, you have to wonder, the sprinters and the, the cyclists and anybody else, there's so many of them are caught using drugs. You have to wonder if the people who get the gold medals have got the best therapists. So first of all, I have no interest in it, whatever, and I'm not going to watch it. Secondly, do I think it should be held at the moment? I think the answer is no. There's undoubtedly a possibility of exponentially spreading this COVID virus. And all I had to do was to delay it, either until the Japanese population is adequately protected by vaccination, or until the COVID situation has quietened down. I mean, they didn't hold the Olympic Games during World War II. And this would appear to be as disruptive a force globally as was World War II. In the end, the Summer Games were held in Tokyo a year after the original date of August 2020. Many in Japan blamed the Olympics on a surge in that country's COVID cases that put their hospitals on the brink of being unable to handle patients who had severe disease related to the virus. All the while, back in Ontario, eligible residents continued to get vaccinated against COVID-19, but the holdouts wanted to be heard in small groups the anti-vaxxers would march through the streets of Toronto, unmasked in their solidarity against science and what they called their freedom to stay unvaccinated would later in the year affect their ability to enjoy some of life's pleasures, indoor dining, theaters, gyms and sports venues. But in the middle of the summer, they were still trying to advance their opinion while the majority of people got their two COVID vaccines. Jim in Scarborough called Fight Back to say he has friends who've been brainwashed into becoming anti-vaxxers. Your guests, you know, highly intelligent people are using these uh, statements of logic. And what I see among some people I know is that they basically, I hesitate to use the word, but they get all their information from shows like Tucker Carlson and Rush Limbaugh, who is now no longer in the air and other far right wing, you know, news media. And this anti-vax stance is just one in a whole suite of ideas that they've virtually, uh, there's a film called The Brainwashing of My Father, and it exactly describes these two or three friends. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Free for All Friday 2021. I'm Jane Brown. Canada had a federal election this year on September 20th. Most Canadians surveyed were against Justin Trudeau's decision to call an election during a pandemic. And in the end, the prime minister paid for that decision, winning a second straight minority government with almost the exact makeup of the first in the House of Commons. People called it a waste of taxpayers' money and a public health threat while the COVID crisis was ongoing. 
Toward the end of August, Pat in Toronto phoned Fight Back to say he would like to see a re-elected minority government. I think we should stick with a minority government. I mean, it keeps them on their toes. We get good ideas coming out. I think if we give them a majority, I mean, it just doesn't work as well as far as good debate, good ideas, and proving things in the right way. So, uh, yeah, and I, I guess I have a little bit of a concern that the man, Mr. Trudeau, who I refer to as the man with the good hair, uh, has a little bit of a superiority complex in that his father was the pre- previous prime minister, or was a prime minister, way back when, when I was first voting. You're listening to the best of Free for All Friday 2021 on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Labor Day on Fight Back invited an informative conversation about working into older age. Some people love their professions and want to continue being part of the workforce past the traditional retirement age of 65. Others are happy to give up working but worry about funding what could be a lengthy retirement as the average life expectancy grows longer. Jan called from Grafton to offer an alternative perspective on working into older age. I got the implication from a couple of comments that were made that if you retire, you sit in a rocking chair and uh, and you kind of fall off the end of a cliff. But I really think the value of letting go, especially for people who have been in very um, intense professional careers where your sense of identity is very much wedded to the work that you do. I was an academic, and I was four years old when I went to nursery school, and then I retired when I was about 67, 68. All of those years spent in one kind of institution, Mm -hmm. an academic institution, and I found that I needed to be another person, and I think retirement has allowed me to do that, to discover myself as different things than the things that my uh, my occupation and my profession picked up on. When you start rediscovering other aspects of who you are, you take off in other directions. You're listening to the best of Free For All Friday 2021 on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. September 30th marked Canada's first National Truth and Reconciliation Day. To recognize the horrors Indigenous children experienced in colonial residential schools, horrors that led to a widely disproportionate number of deaths among First Nations children. Acknowledging and understanding what happened is the first step. Reconciliation is needed in order for Indigenous people to move on and have a positive future in Canada. A newly re-elected Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, missed an opportunity to begin the reconciliation process after attending an event in Ottawa on the eve of Truth and Reconciliation Day. The Prime Minister traveled by plane to Tofino on the actual day to begin a family vacation. Canadians, non-Indigenous and Indigenous alike, were incensed that Justin Trudeau would be so tone-deaf not to visit any First Nations communities on this special day, especially on the first Truth and Reconciliation Day. On Fight Back, we dedicated our show to First Nations issues on September 30th. Jim in Pickering called to offer his thoughts. 
what a somber day. And it is in our schools, and it's been normalized. It's in our churches as well, and our religion. And, you know, Libby, uh, so I, I just want to know why we're not hearing from these religious organizations that ran the institutions that would be maybe the only ones that know how those children got in those graves, what happened, right? Where are the records, right? And I'm not looking for an apology. I'm just looking for the truth, as in truth and reconciliation. Thanksgiving in 2021 was much different than Thanksgiving in 2020, when none of us had been vaccinated. Last year, we were not encouraged to gather with family, but this past October, Thanksgiving gatherings were given the go-ahead, even encouraged, especially among double-vaccinated individuals. Brian in Toronto called Fight Back about preparing Thanksgiving dinner when Chef Rose Reisman was among our guests. This year, because we're still, some of us are still very limiting our gatherings, instead of necessarily cooking an entire bird, which is a lot of food, is you can cook a piece. You can buy a turkey breast and a turkey leg. And then, you know, the the cook time, the process, I'm going to have myself, my fiance, and maybe our kids, and that's it. And we're going to have six people to sort of cook a whole bird. And you can do the stuffing in a roasting pan. You can do your squash and your sweet potatoes. It saves a lot of time and effort. Right. Then you're not eating turkey for 10 days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, 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 it, and a half-eaten turkey sits in the fridge, takes up a lot of space. That's so true. A couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, it became mandatory for people in this province to show proof of double vaccination against COVID-19 to access indoor dining, theaters, sports venues, and gyms. Soon after, there was a controversial decision announced by the Ford PCs at Queen's Park to allow full capacity in sports venues and theaters before full capacity was allowed again in restaurants. Bill from Toronto phoned in to say he felt this was unfair. It seems that the the government's pretty cozy with big business. You know, Costco didn't get affected. Walmart really didn't get affected. And they just keep going after the small business. And quite frankly, I've gotten so used to not going out to dinner or not going out to a bar. You know, I've become a bit of a chef now. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm I'm quite content to stay at home. So it's the double whammy. Even if they open these things wide up, I don't know whether people are going to come back in droves. But the government can let 16,000 into the ACC Centre and they can't open restaurants. Now to issues around healthcare workers, the vast majority of whom have been double vaccinated against COVID-19. Administrators with individual hospitals, especially here in Toronto, instituted a mandatory vaccination policy for public-facing healthcare workers. Failing to do so could result in dismissal. But to date, the governing Ford PCs have yet to make it mandatory across the board for healthcare workers to be double vaccinated. They have, however, implemented a mandatory vaccine policy for staff and volunteers in long-term care homes. Cheryl from Kingston phoned in early November with her wish for all healthcare workers to be fully vaccinated. I want to say that I am a recent cancer survivor, so I spent 2020 fighting the big C. Uh-huh. I still have to attend the hospital to serious specialists. I am fully vaccinated, and I think it's criminal that any healthcare worker should 
should be able to keep their job and be unvaccinated so they can impact my health when I've been so careful and other people are like me? I'm sorry, no. It is mandatory for TTC workers to be fully vaccinated against COVID. In fact, many workers are currently on unpaid leave as a result of not meeting the deadline. Eventually, they could lose their jobs if they failed to comply. As a result of so many unpaid leaves, 57 different bus routes and one streetcar route now have slower service, as does the Bloor-Danforth subway line. After Fightback spoke with the former union leader for TTC workers, Carlos Santos, who was against the policy and the way it was implemented, Rhonda from Kitchener called with a rebuttal. I'm sorry, sir. I, I'm sorry that they, you had to go to the great lengths that you did to get protected in the first place, but it was new and fresh to everyone. But the point is now there's a vaccine. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. They're working for the public. It doesn't matter if they take a pill in the future. As long as they do something to protect themselves, forget the public. It's protecting themselves. But when you're working with the public, this is a must. I'm glad that it, that it, it I'm sorry it had to come to the point where everybody has to be forced. I don't understand that to begin with, because you look on uh, Facebook and everything else, they're putting more personal information out there, and all they're asked is, did you get two shots? And they're taking it as an insult, and that's wrong. During the course of the pandemic, Canadians who lost their jobs due to the COVID crisis were provided with federal relief, commonly known as CERB. And here in Ontario, on a provincial level, businesses could also apply for federal relief to recover lost income. But it seems many business owners were given benefits when they weren't deserving or should not have qualified. Ontario's Auditor General released a report suggesting the amount of public money that went to unqualified businesses was in the neighbourhood of a billion dollars. And yet Premier Doug Ford has yet to outline if and how this money will be recovered. Wendy in Guelph phoned Fight Back to say the billion dollars in pandemic relief that went to Ontario businesses in error should be paid back. I live on a disability and I had started a small business, which did not qualify, and I found that out two payments in, so I stopped. And so that $4,000, and my income is only 25000 a year, And um, they're making me pay that $4,000 back, even though I mistakenly didn't qualify. And I live on, well, reduced food and prayers of getting through. So I don't know why these other big high rollers don't have to pay back any of the money that they knowingly got. Because after a couple of months, you know you're not entitled. So you either stop taking it or you continue taking it. If Premier Doug Ford refuses to recover this billion dollars, we'll see if it comes back to haunt him in his bid for re-election this coming June. Or maybe he will decide to do the right thing and get it back on behalf of Ontario taxpayers. As the year was winding down, the new Omicron variant was ramping up, fueling thousands of daily COVID cases in Ontario alone. 
Just when we thought the pandemic was gently coming to an end, with most people double-vaxxed and starting to get their third shots, Omicron arrived and changed the story. The booster shot campaign has been moved up to include everyone 18 and over, as various public health units scrambled to get more third shots into arms in a hurry, in a race between Omicron and the boosters. But public health and political leaders alike say we also need to double down on masking, hand washing, and reducing gatherings to outside and virtual. What will the pandemic bring for us in 2022? We can only hope an end to it all. I'm Jane Brown. For all of us on the Fight Back team, we hope you enjoyed this look back at the year that was. And thank you to all of our callers. We hope you keep phoning in as we begin a brand new year of Fight Back with Libby Snymer starting Monday, January 3rd, and a new year of Free For All Fridays starting Friday, January 7th. The best of Free For All Friday 2021 with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio was produced for MZ Media, a division of Zoomer Media Limited by Jane Brown and Justin Eacock. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.